Uh, earlier this year, Debbie and I had the chance to go to uh, Hong Kong and particularly over to Kowloon, which was where we were staying. Now, if you've been there, you know that this is a very exciting place. There's lots and lots happening there, people crowding everywhere. Uh, but one of the things that really amazed me is that on every street corner, there are people who grab you and say, would you like to buy a fake Rolex? Now, it's not so much that they're selling fake Rolexes. I knew that they were going to be doing that. What surprises me is they don't even try and pretend that it's the real thing. They actually tell you this is a fake. Now, does that seem a little strange to anyone else? I mean, they're really saying, do you want to buy something that really isn't what you think it might be? I mean, that's what they're saying, isn't it? It seems very strange to me that someone would try and pass off a fake as a fake. Wouldn't you want to try and pretend that it's the real thing? Well, we started looking at 1 John last week, and this is a letter that's written to a very specific situation. Uh, there are false teachers who've come into this church that John is writing to, and they're trying to present a counterfeit message. They're trying to present a fake. But the problem is, they're trying to pass it off as the real thing. They're trying to tell everyone, this is the truth about Jesus. This is what it is that you need to believe. Well, John wants to show his friends that this is a counterfeit message. And what he does in this passage that we've got today is really just give them three tests, three ways that they can actually prove whether or not something is a fake, whether or not this message that they're being presented with, whether or not it is a fake. Uh, the first test that John wants to offer is right there in that first verse, verse number 3 of chapter 2. It's the test of obedience. Look at what he says. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. John says, if you've come to know God, then it will be evident in your life. You'll be able to see it in the life that you live. We know because we have this desire to live the way that God wants us to live. That's what it is, a willingness to want to live the way that God would have us live. That's the positive way of putting it. Verse 4, he puts it in the negative. Look at what he says. The man who says, I know him, that is, I know God, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. If your claim to know God is not reflected in your behaviour, then you're kidding yourself, John says. You're lying to yourself. Genuine test for, the test number one for genuine faith is obedience to God. That you have that desire, that you have that willingness to live the way that God wants you to live. That doesn't mean that your life's going to be perfect or that you'll never make a mistake. But it does mean that you're oriented that way. That that's now your desire. You want to live the way that God would want you to live. You've probably seen the opposite to that happen though, haven't you? The man who's the leader within the life of the church but has a reputation around town for being the dodgy businessman, the one who always cheats or even does illegal things. Uh, the key figure in the church but everyone knows that he's having an affair with the woman next door. Or the minister who's involved in those questionable financial dealings. See, something's wrong there. Either your behaviour has to change 
or you need to stop pretending that you're a Christian. That's what John's saying, isn't it? Faith in Jesus, genuine faith, will show itself in obedience. That's test number one. Now, don't, don't get confused about what John's saying. He's not saying that you become friends with God by being obedient. That's not it at all. He's not saying that the way that you get right with God is by trying really hard. That's not the message. Right in the very opening part of this letter, John made it clear that the only way that you're made right with God is by what Jesus has done for you, by his sacrifice, by him dealing with your sin. The only way into being a relationship with God is to have your sins forgiven by Jesus. But John's also clear that those who know that their sins are forgiven, well, obedience will shape their lives. And it'll actually be a Jesus shaped life that you're now living. Look at what he says partway through verse number 6 or partway through verse number 5. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. John's calling us not to obedience as if it's some set of rules that we need to obey. The obedience that we're to have is that our lives ought to look like Jesus' life. That we should share his attitudes, his values, his concerns. That our lives should be shaped like that. Verse number five, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Test number one. Obedience. Test number two, John says, is love. Look at what he says in verse number seven. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you've had since the beginning. This command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone else a little confused by that? And doesn't he say, I'm not writing you a new command? And then he says, well, hang on, but I am writing you a new command. But then he doesn't even tell you what the command is. So, what's he talking about? Well, I think as you go on in those verses, uh, you see that he's talking about the need to love one another. That that's an important thing for those who are followers of Jesus. And there's a sense in which that command to love is an old command. Uh, Jesus had told the people of Israel that uh, God sorry, had already told the people of Israel that they were to love God and to love their neighbours as themselves. Jesus says those two laws from the pages of the Old Testament sum up what the whole Old Testament was about. This is what Jesus said. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two Commandments. So the command to love God and to love your neighbour, well, it is an old command. This was given thousands of years before Jesus. But there's also a sense in which it's a new command. Well, Jesus says that it is anyway. And I think this is what John's got in mind. Jesus says this to his disciples. Now bear in mind, this is on the night before Jesus dies on the cross. Look at what he says. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, 
so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, the newness of the command is not that we've never been told to love before. We have. The newness is the extent to which we are to love. You're to love. You're not just to love your neighbour as yourself. You're to love your neighbour as Jesus has loved you. And that's kind of cranking it up a notch or two, isn't it? It's not just a matter of loving your neighbour as you love yourself. You've got to love as much as Jesus has loved you. Now again, Jesus is saying this the night before he's going to go to the cross. In a few hours after saying those words, he will be hanging on a cross to show the extent of his love for us. And that's how much you're supposed to love. So it is a new command, isn't it? The extent to which we are to love is being increased. And from what John says in this letter, the love is supposed to be two things, I think, mainly. We're to love one another. We're to have a love and a concern for those around us. We're particularly to love those within the life of our church. I don't know about you, but the last sentence there, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I've got to confess, I find that sentence a little bit depressing. I mean, it's not that what Jesus is saying is depressing. It's just that I know I'm not very good at it. And I'm not sure that there are terribly many churches that are good at it. Do you know of any churches that really stand out, that are known by everyone because of the love that they have for each other? I mean, we should be good at it. If we're serious about following Jesus, we, we should be great at loving others and loving each other within the life of our church. At a church that I was once involved in, we had another church that used to use our building on Sunday afternoons. So they would come in at around about midday, we were finished in the morning, and they'd come in at around about midday, and they were just renting the building from us, so we were a completely different organisation. But one afternoon, when they'd finished their Sunday meeting, they all moved out to the footpath, and an argument started. And there was yelling, and there was screaming, and it looked like it might have come to blows at one point. Uh, And the neighbour who lived across the road, who was a very gracious, understanding person, rang the police. They were so concerned about what was actually happening there. Great example for a church, isn't it? Not quite that, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you yell and scream at each other on the footpath. No, that's not what Jesus says, is it? I mean, we should be known because of our love, because of our concern for each other. We should be known because we really do love and care for each other. Now, I want to make an important distinction here. The Bible doesn't say you have to like all of the people here in this building. It says you have to love them. And I think that's a really important distinction. You have to love them. You have to want what is best for them. You have to seek their best interests. You have to be willing to serve them. You have to have a concern to see them grow and mature in their Christian lives. You have to have a concern about what's going on in their lives. That's how you love people. You don't have to like them. See, like is about sharing the same interests, enjoying the same food or the same social events or or the same music. You don't have to like them. You have to love them. That's what Jesus commands us to do. Christians ought to be people who love one another 
and love in the same way that Jesus has loved us. But John says something else about love. Jump down to verse number 15. He says that we are to love God and and he contrasts loving God with loving the world. Look at what he says, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has done, comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. It's very easy, or dare I say very natural for us, to love the world that we're living in. But John says we have to make sure that we don't love things in this world to the exclusion of God. And so what does he have in mind? Well, Verse 16, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has done does not come from the Father but from the world. He doesn't actually say specifically what it is that we might love in this world but it's the things that we will crave, the things that we will lust after. It's the things that we'll turn to to try and find meaning or security or significance or pleasure in this life. John says we need to make sure that those things don't hinder our love of God. That our love of God needs to be the primary thing and that everything else falls into place under that. We've got to make sure that we don't love things in this world more than we love God. The final test that John offers is the pretty obvious one. It's truth. There are clearly some strange ideas about Jesus that rattle around in churches and those who claim to be Christians can often make some very unusual statements. There are those who would claim to be Christians but would deny that Jesus rose again from the dead. There would be those that would deny that Jesus is God. There would be those who would even deny that Jesus ever lived. Uh, Quite remarkably, there are bishops in the Anglican Church who would say that Jesus never actually existed, that it's the idea of Jesus that we're carrying on within the life of the church. But then there are a number, and a significant number, of large groups or organisations that would want to come under that Christian umbrella uh, but would deny fundamental things about the Christian faith. Uh, Let me give you a couple of examples. Groups like Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the Jehovah's Witnesses or Christadelphians or the Christian Scientists. These people all have a place for Jesus in their teaching. They'll all talk about Jesus as being part of what they believe, but they all deny the truth about Jesus. They all deny that Jesus is God. Sure, Jesus is important and has helpful things to say. They'd all affirm that, but they'd all deny that Jesus is God. Well, look at what John says in verse 21. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? The man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See, the very heart of heresy is a denial about Jesus, denying something fundamental about Jesus. 
denying that he is the Christ, the, the Saviour that God sent into the world. Denying that he is God, denying that he came into the world, denying that he died on the cross, denying that he rose again from the dead. Denying that the only way to be made right with God is through Jesus. Denying that he is the Saviour that God has sent. The very heart of all heresies is denying something about Jesus. A few years ago, someone gave me a uh, Tag Hoyer watch. Uh, and these watches are worth quite a lot of money. Uh, his dad was a bit of an amateur jeweller and he had it lying around uh, and wanted to know whether or not I'd take it. And I said, yeah, sure. I mean, these, these things are worth thousands of dollars. Um, but I happened to be walking past the jewellery store and I thought, better just check this watch. So I went in, took the watch off, handed it to the man in the jewellery store and said, can you tell me if this is genuine? I dropped it into his hand and he quickly dropped it straight back into my hand and said, it's a fake. Without even really looking at it, he could tell that this was a fake. He could see that I was a little bit stunned and I said, how do you know it's a fake? He said three things. He said, first of all, it's too light. A tag hoyer watch would be much, much heavier than that. He said, secondly, the band is tarnished. He said, that would never happen on a tag hoyer watch. And he said, the second thing is, the third thing is, they have a very distinctive band and this watch doesn't have that band. With just a quick glance, he could pick that this thing was a fake. Well, John says, here's three things to test whether or not your faith is a genuine faith whether or not it's the real thing or whether what you've got might actually be a counterfeit. Now, it would be crazy for us to look at this passage and not think about our own faith, wouldn't it? I mean, three tests that John wants to give us. First of all, do you believe the truth about Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is God, that he came into this world to pay the penalty for your sins? Do you believe that he rose again from the dead? Do you believe that there's no other way to be saved than by Jesus? And then there's the test of love. Do you think you have that genuine love for others? Again, we're not talking about like, we're talking about love. Wanting what is in the best interest of others within this church. Being concerned to see them grow and mature. Do you desire what is best for them? Can I ask you, how are you showing that love for the other members of this church? And then John says there's that test of obedience. Is obedience to God a priority in your life? Would you say that you're walking as Jesus did? Does obedience to God shape the way that you do things, the way that you think about things in this life? The genuine faith in Jesus will be obvious to you and to others because of those three things. How about we pray?